Before we start the show today, I wanted to let you all know that we're giving away copies of the audiobook vinyl that we talk about in this episode. All you have to do to enter is leave our podcast a review, take a picture of it, and send it to Harper Audio Marketing at HarperCollins.com. Okay, now on to the show. Hello, audiobook fans. Welcome to another episode of Harper Audio Presents. Even though the days of lugging around your giant CD booklets or using pencils to fix cassette tapes are long gone, vinyl has survived and thrived. Indie Record Store Day was a few weeks ago, and the stores that I frequent had lines out the door. Vinyl is no joke. The audiobook world has taken notice, and so have we, because today's episode is all about vinyl. A little later on in the episode, we're going to hear from one of the best American poets of all time, Nikki Giovanni. Harper Audio is releasing her 1997 collection, Love Poems on Vinyl. Poetry. Trump. Space. Nikki covers it all. But first, the listening party, Vinyl Edition. We set up our turntable and listened to a handful of our latest offerings from notable people like Charles Bukowski and Amy Poehler. These vinyl editions are collector's items and they feature exclusive art on the packaging and on the vinyls themselves. Enough messing around, let's get the listening party started. Let's do it. We're already rolling, right? Yep. Yeah. Great. There's nothing better in my day than a listening party. And I'm happy to be doing one today that is focused on something a little different than our listening parties normally are, and that is the wonderful world of vinyl. What's vinyl? <laughs> it's what old people's couches are made of, right? Oh. That's good start. So we're going to be focusing on a number of vinyl titles that we've put out, and we have even more help here than last time. So do we want to go around the room and let everybody know uh, who is in here for the party, who's attended? Of course we do. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't all jump at it. Yeah. Uh, is Nathan Rosbro back here again, ready to talk about some vinyl? And Beth Ives enjoying my second guest appearance on the Harper Audio Presents podcast. Ooh, humble brag. And this is Fometa making her debut. Yeah. What do you do here, Fometa? Post production manager. Excellent. I will note Fometa is here late every night. She works really hard. So let's all give Fometa a round of yeah. applause. Golf clap. Thank you. <laughs> We hope that everyone at home listening also just clapped, no matter where you're listening from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, people I will, will get it. I will note that was also a humble brag because that means I'm also here late every there night. So <laughs> let's let's uh, steer it to me, guys. All me. Great. So, do you want to lead us off, Beth? Yeah, sure. So, the first vinyl I want to talk about is Charles Bukowski Uncensored. This. I'm so excited about it. It's our newest one, and we're doing it exclusively for Independent Bookstore Day, which is April 27th. It's always the last Saturday of April, and HarperCollins does really great exclusive editions of really fun things for Independent Bookstore Day. And this year, we did Charles Bukowski Uncensored. It's a vinyl edition that took place in Bukowski's apartment in 1993. He was recording Run With The Hunted, And it went on for six hours. And yes, he was drinking. (laughs) Because that's what he does. And rambling. But what we got back was just absolutely brilliant. And we're so freaking excited about it. So look for us on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Because we're going to be posting in the next week all the stores that will be carrying this for Independent Bookstore Day. So don't miss out. It's so cool. And it we're also, really excited. It also looks really beautiful too. If you, like, I know that people can't, they're not in the room with us right now and can't see it, but how would you describe the look of this vinyl itself? I, it's, it's badass. <laughs> it, you know, the cover was designed by someone in house named Capo and he did such an amazing job of it. We'll post, um, look for pictures of it online as well. But the, and the actual record is white. So it just, it looks really cool. I mean, even if it didn't sound good, which by the way, it does sound good, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it would look so good on your wall 
on your bookshelf, wherever. Without further ado, Charles Bukowski, Uncensored. I was a bum in San Francisco, but once managed to go to a symphony concert along with the well-dressed people. And the music was good, but something about the audience was not. And something about the orchestra and the conductor was not. Although the building was fine and the acoustics perfect, I preferred to listen to the music alone on my radio. And afterwards, I did go back to my room and I turned on the radio. But there was a pounding on the wall. Shut that goddamn thing off! There was a soldier in the next room living with his wife and soon he would be going over there to protect me from Hitler. So I snapped the radio off, and then I'd heard his wife say, you shouldn't have done that. And the soldier said, fuck that guy, which I thought was a very nice thing for him to tell his wife to do. Of course, she never did. Anyhow, I never went to another live concert, and that night I listened to the radio very quietly, my ear pressed to the speaker. War has its price and peace never lasts and millions of young men everywhere would die. And as I listened to the classical music, I heard them making love desperately and mournfully through Shostakovich, Brahms, Mozart, through crescendo and climax and through the shared walls of our darkness. Okay. Perfect. All right. So uh, the next one I'm going to talk about is Yes, Please. This was actually the first final we did. This is Amy Poehler's Grammy-nominated audiobook. We did a vinyl of it, and what is so cool about this one is that the side two is completely a live recording. Yeah. Recorded at UCB in Los Angeles. Which she founded. Mm-hmm. Which she founded. You know, we were just so happy and this final just done so well and it was our pet project and it really spawned a lot of other vinyl editions. So yes, please, Amy Poehler, you can purchase that now. It's on Amazon. It's on harpercollins.com. Anywhere you get your vinyl, you can purchase Yes, Please. So let's hear from Yes, Please by Amy Poehler. everybody. This is a reading uh, for my audiobook. Uh, you know, you have to do your audiobook before your book even comes out, <laughs> which I didn't know. So I'm just going to be reading a chapter tonight. I really appreciate all you guys coming on such short notice. Thank you so much for being here. The book is called Yes, Please, and it's coming out October 28th in theaters near you. <laughs> <laughs> And we're also videotaping this tonight, so if anyone is, you know, hiding from the law, (laughs) now would be a good time to leave. And we're audio taping this so that you can listen to it in your car. Um, I'm assuming is where you listen to your books. When I was growing up, the Polars were the lower middle class family that had high-end gadgets. We had an amazing answering machine. It was as big as a toaster oven and used full-sized cassette tapes. I would come home and see the light blinking, excited that someone had tried to call us even when we weren't around. I would rewind the tape with a giant button and listen to a strange voice asking me to renew my subscription to Seventeen magazine. (laughs) That answering machine was a big deal. We fought over who would leave the outgoing message, each one of us believing that we would find the right mixture of humor and gravitas beneath our excruciating Boston accents. (laughs) The answering machine was my personal secretary. I would run home from school and change the outgoing message as needed. Carrie, I'm going to the mall, meet me at Brigham's. (laughs) I know Brigham's. 
And if you get there first, order me a chocolate chip on the sugar coma, Jimmy. <laughs> Sometimes you went somewhere and people didn't show up. And now, now my phone sits in my pocket like a pack of cigarettes used to. I am obsessed and addicted and I'm convinced that my phone is trying to kill me. <laughs> I believe this to be true. And by the way, when I say my phone, I mean my phone and my iPad and my laptop and all technological devices in general. Look, I'm glad we have electricity and anesthesia, <laughs> but I think this internet thing might be a bad idea. <laughs> Sorry, guys. So far, the only good things I've seen come out of this recent technological renaissance are video chatting with your grandparents, <laughs> online dating, and being able to attend traffic school on your computer. So what I've got today is a personal favorite. It's Dark Carousel by Joe Hill. Beth, was this the first one that we did as an audio original? Yes. Yeah, so this Dark Carousel is a short story that Joe Hill wrote. And currently, the on, literally the only place you can get it is on this vinyl edition. That's right. It is amazing. It's about a haunted carousel and a bunch of drunk teenagers in 1994. It's narrated by podcast legend uh, Nate Cordry. Nate is also a star in the Hulu adaptation of Lock and Key, which was a Joe Hill story. So it's a double LP. On side D, there's a cover of Wild Horses by the Rolling Stones by this amazing musician, Matthew Ryan. And not coincidentally, the original title of the short story was Wild Horses. Yeah, that cover is actually really, really great. It's, like, it's incredible. Yeah, it's it's a reason enough to get this, but the story is also really, really And the splattered, isn't there a cool like splattered effect on the record? I, I get a Silence of the Lambs kind of vibe. It's like... <laughs> Yeah, it almost looks like if like you smashed a bug, but way more like artistic looking. <laughs> it's artistic bug smashing. Artistic yeah. bug smash, double vinyl. I think that was the vibe we were going for. Yeah. Now let's take a listen to Dark Carousel by Joe Hill. It used to be on postcards, the carousel at the end of the Cape Maggie Pier. It was called the Wild Wheel, and it ran fast. Not as fast as a roller coaster, but quite a bit faster than the usual carousel for kiddies. The wheel looked like an immense cupcake, its cupola roof striped in black and green with royal gold trim. After dark, it was a jewel box, awash in an infernal red glow, like the light inside an oven. Wurlitzer music floated up and down the beach, discordant strains that sounded like a Romanian waltz, something for a 19th century ball attended by Dracula and his icy white brides. It was the most striking feature of Cape Maggie's run-down, seedy harbor walk. The harbor walk had been run-down and seedy since my grandparents were kids. The air was redolent with the cloying perfume of cotton candy, an odor that doesn't exist in nature and can only be described as pink smell. There was always a puddle of vomit on the boardwalk that had to be avoided. There were always soggy bits of popcorn floating in the puke, there were a dozen sit-down restaurants where you could pay too much for fried clams and wait too long to get them. There were always harassed-looking, sunburned grown-ups carrying shrieking, sunburned children, the whole family out for a seaside lark. On the pier itself, there were the usual stands selling candied apples and hot dogs, booths where you could shoot an air rifle at tin outlaws who popped up from behind tin cacti, there was a great pirate ship that swung back and forth like a pendulum, sailing high out over the sides of the pier and the ocean beyond, while shrill screams carried into the night. I thought of that ride as the SS Fuck No. And there was a bouncy house called Bertha's Bounce. The entrance was the face of an obscenely fat woman with glaring eyes and glistening red cheeks. You took your shoes off outside and climbed in over her lolling tongue between bloated lips. That was where the trouble started. And it was Jerry Renshaw and I who started it. What else do we have in the rotation today? Well, uh, we also have Welcome to Night Vale by Joseph Fink and Jeffrey Craner. I know what you're thinking. You're saying, hey, isn't there a podcast named uh, Welcome to Night Vale? And you're right. This is the same people. Uh, this is their novelization 
of the long-running uh, hit podcast that's been going on since 2012. I think it's one of the first fiction podcasts that I ever listened to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been running strong since then. Now they have their own network of shows. And what you have in Welcome to Night Vale are these short stories and all of this kind of world-building minutia of this fictional town of Night Vale in the American Southwest, where everything is a little wonky, even if the people of the town don't quite reference it as being so. It's kind of like if like uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood took place in like Twin Peaks. That's kind go. of That's how really I good. feel it is. It's like a much more wholesome, while still being terrifying kind of thing. Brought to you um, from a radio station. Yes, exactly. It's like presented as like the the local like uh, not NPR ish, yeah, but the public very access. public access radio station, and it is narrated uh, by stars of the podcast, including Cecil Baldwin, Dylan Marin. We also have Retta in there uh, for all you Parks and Rec fans out there, and also Therese Plummer and Dan Bittner are all on there. The vinyl itself is a like greatest hits collection of the full audiobook. And then on the B side, we have uh, these exclusive commentary tracks from uh, the creators Joseph Fink, Jeffrey Craner, and Cecil Baldwin. So you get one from each of them on there. And if you like things that are purple, let me tell you, this is the vinyl for you. It's got this really Really great sleeve uh, design with all these flies on there. These are not smashed flies. No, these are the unsmashed. It's uh, the technical term is fly paper. Oh, really? Yeah. I guess yeah, as like the what you like catch flies on in your house. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Yeah, we all have fly problems at our house. You can tell uh, we're familiar with fly paper. But look at that! Woo! Oh my God! What a beautiful vinyl! It's got the Night Vale Eye uh, logo on the cover there too. Reminds me of a smoothie. Oh yeah, but please do not try to drink no. this uh, vinyl. And is this vinyl? It. Is the, is this book the the Welcome to Night Vale novel? That's just is it just a collection of all the podcasts that people have already heard that's smashed together? Uh, no, no, it is not. It is a like complete novelization. It's like based on all that stuff, but it's been reworked and condensed into a like digestible standalone piece. Nice. Yeah. Here's a little bit from Welcome to Night Vale by Joseph Fink and Jeffrey Craner. The history of the town of Nightvale is long and complicated, reaching back thousands of years to the earliest indigenous people in the desert. We will cover none of it here. Suffice it to say that it is a town like many towns, with a city hall and a bowling alley, the Desert Flower Bowling Alley and Arcade Fun Complex, and a diner, the Moonlight All-Night Diner, and a supermarket, Ralph's. And, of course, a community radio station reporting all the news that we are allowed to hear. On all sides, it is surrounded by empty desert flatness. It is much like your town, perhaps. It might be more like your town than you'd like to admit. It is a friendly desert community where the sun is hot The moon is beautiful, and mysterious lights pass overhead while we all pretend to sleep. Welcome to Night Vale. Ready to go for meta? I am. Last but not least, we have Love Poems by Nikki Giovanni. Um, Is is that a romance novel? (laughs) No, it is, in fact, Love Poems. (laughs) I know, shocking. But I actually have... Pretty interesting connection to this. So way back when, when I was a tiny, tiny teen and fancied myself a poet, and by that I mean wrote terrible (laughs) lines of, uh, what's the word? Um, Poetry? Yeah. Okay. There you go. If we can call it that. Um, Nikki Giovanni was one of the poets that I sought out and I checked out, you know, her stuff from the library because... It was before the internet. Um, and, and a fellow Virginian. <laughs> fellow yeah. Virginian, yes. Um, instead of working at the library, I just read stuff. And um, so then fast forward to this project coming out. Um, I actually did get to work on the post-production for it and, in fact, chose the jazzy, jazzy music that you hear at the beginning. The dedication itself is um, almost a complete poem dedicated to Tupac Shakur. There's also another poem 
specifically addressing him, but there's, it's just love of like all kinds. There's sort of like mothers, there's romantic love, obviously. There's some slightly more erotic stuff, but it's just a very good encapsulation of her work. And I was, you know, really glad that I got to work on it. And since we're talking about how the vinyl looks, this one also is fantastic. It's very beautiful. It's white, but it has, what color would we say this is? Has kind of some pink purple. Yeah, has fla- some it's kind of like a flower burst coming oh, out. Oh yeah, of the almost looks like a flower. Almost looks like a rose. It's very. It's, it's a very, rose splatter. <laughs> rose splatter. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna go with rose splatter. That's so the, the yeah. technical. No, it's actually really beautiful. Like, am I right about this? You're right. That you, like, no, I feel like no two vinyls are the same. That, that yes, exactly. Correct. It's it's not a very particular design, but there's you know there's color throughout it, and that means that each copy is kind of unique looking. It's a box of chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes, deep cut, Forrest Gump. Appreciate it. I think it's also interesting to have a poet read her own words because so much about poetry is about rhythm and delivery. So it's it's obviously actors do great jobs and we we love them, but in this particular case, I think it's great to sort of hear it right from the author's mouth. So that's great too. Yeah. And how fitting this being April and it's poetry month. Exactly. And we are lucky enough to publish one of the most legendary poets. Exactly. Ever. Wholeheartedly. You are correct, Beth. Can I ask? I know we're about to hear uh, from Nikki reading her own poetry. Uh, Fometer, are we going to hear you reading your own poetry? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) That is a hard no, but thank you for asking, Andrew. So this one's going to be a little different than the last listening party. There's no secret word this time to enter this listening party for a chance to win all of the vinyls we just talked about. You must first leave a review of our podcast on your podcast hub of choice, like Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Take a photo of your review and then attach that to an email, sending it to Harper Audio Marketing at harpercollins.com with the subject line, Listening Party. The entry window is April 24th through May 24th, 2019. And for all the official rules and fine print, please see the link in the show notes. And now here is Nikki Giovanni herself in Love Poems by Nikki Giovanni. Harper Audio presents Love Poems by Nikki Giovanni. This is the author. Love Poems for Tupac Shakur, 1971-1996, a lover whose love was often deliberately misunderstood, but who will live in the sun and the rains, and whose name will echo through all the winds, whose spirit will flower, and who, like Emmett Till and Malcolm X, will be remembered by his people for the great man he could have become, and most especially for the beautiful boy that he was. what it is. If it's a trail, we can hike it. If it has two wheels, we can bike it. If it's an allergy, we can sneeze it. If it's a pimple, we can squeeze it. If it's dew, it covers Dixie. If it's Tinkerbell, it's a pixie. If it's a breeze, it can blow us. If it's the sun, it can know us. If it's a song, we can sing it. If it flies, we can wing it. If it's soda pop, then it's drinkable. It might be X-rated, but that's unthinkable. If it's a boat, we can sail it. If it's a letter, we can mail it. If it's a star, we can let it shine. If it's a moon, it can make you mine. If it's grass, we can rake it. If it's free, why not take it? If it's a tide, it can ebb. If it's a spider, it can web. If it's chocolate, we can dip it. If it's a golf ball, we can chip it. If it's gum, we can chew it. I hope it's love, so we can do it. Again, if you want to enter for a chance to win the vinyl, leave us a review on your podcast hub of choice, take a picture of it, and send it to Marketing at harpercollins.com. For all the rules, go to the link in the show notes. Now, it's Nikki time. The interview you're about to hear was recorded in November of 2017 in front of an audience at the New York HarperCollins offices. Nikki was interviewed by writer, music journalist, and podcast host Torre. I know what you're saying. You're saying Andrew. 
do they talk about Tori's feet at all in this interview? The answer is yes, absolutely. Did you even have to ask that question? You're in for a real treat. So I'll let Tori and Nikki take it away. Let's talk about crying. Because this is a new thing for you in life, right? That you have not been into crying. You have not let yourself cry. And recently you've said, let me learn how to cry. So talk about realizing you had to learn how to cry, how you learned how to cry, and the difference that it's made. Well, crying is a skill, and and probably most of us know that. And everybody, you know, they write the bad novels, and elder, you know, everybody's always crying. The women are always crying in the novels. And there's always somebody else saying, oh, baby, don't cry. It'll be all right. But there's no way it's going to be all right. Your mother dies. It's not going to be all right. You have cancer. It's not going to be all right. You know what I'm saying? These things are not going to be all right. So you need to learn to let it out. But I had a seizure, and that's what started the whole thing, is that I had uh, a brain seizure. Thank God it wasn't a stroke because then I'd look funny. Not that I don't, but I'd look funnier. But, it, you know, but <laughs> so I'm glad I didn't that. But I had a um, I had a seizure, and my doctor, speaking of looks, uh, Greg, his name is Gregory. Gregory is good looking, and it's not that your doctor it doesn't, you know. But your like doctor Grey's Anatomy, good looking. Yeah, as in. <laughs> <laughs> He's good looking. And, but Gregory says to me, you know, the, your, your problem is you have high blood pressure. And I said to Gregory, I don't think that's my problem. I said, my, my problem is that I hold things in and I think I need to let them out. So Gregory and I are having an argument. I think that what he should do is copyright it. I don't know what you do with symptoms, you know, like Alzheimer's. I don't know who, you know, John Alzheimer is, but everybody has Alzheimer's now. <laughs> but I really think that there should be... Um, a symptom, and I think it should be called the Nikki. And so, yeah, people have a problem. They say, well, you know, girl, what's happening? Oh, I got the Nikki. I take some. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is the like? What would the Nikki be? That you can cry or that you can't cry? That you have this in you and gave you this problem, and you have to take pills. <laughs> that, that's what it is. And so, we, Gregory and I, are arguing about that. I do take pills. I do eat breakfast. You know, the dumbest meal of the day is breakfast. No, 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 no. You didn't do any, you went to bed no, at no. night. No, you need the fuel for you, the day, You Mickey. slept, and you didn't do it. You went to bed, you slept. You woke up in the morning, and then all of a sudden it's, I'm hungry. What the hell is that? Oh, you need to propel yourself into the day. I, you know, for a long time, I didn't eat breakfast. So a year ago, I would have been with you, and then I did a bunch of reading, and like, no, you must feed yourself so you propel into the day, right? You're you breakfast like a king, right? And dinner like a pauper, right? That's, a, that's what they say you're supposed I to do. I think you need a good friend and you turn over and look at him or her, it, whatever it is, and say, hi, baby. And you get a kiss and you got your, you know, your, if that don't propel you to hell with If that's you. not enough fuel, then you need a different it's day. It's a fuel. <laughs> it's a fuel. It's a fuel. So let's take us, take us deep inside. How do you write a poem? Take us there. Is there a, a desk? Is it pen and paper? Can it be done anywhere? Or must it be done a specific place? <laughs> no. I taught, and, and I love him so much. I, I really do. He's my literary son. I taught Kwame Alexander. Oh, wow. And uh, I, 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 my heart goes out to Stephanie, his wife, because Kwame gets up at 5.30 in the morning, and he writes until about 8, and then he goes off and uh, probably has breakfast. I have to ask Stephanie about that. <laughs> And I'm just not like that. Something, uh, I'm a music person, so music has a lot to do with my um, information. But I don't, um, I'm not trying to, when I was, finish your sentence, Nikki. About 30 years ago, I'm, I'm 74, so about 30, maybe even 40 years ago, I would write at midnight. I'm, I'm sure, Tom, I, I would write at midnight because that's all the time that I had to write. Midnight till when? Um, till I went to sleep four or five o'clock in the morning, sleep four or five hours, and you get up and do whatever you have to do. But now, I did what I was supposed to do. My son graduated from, from college and law school without debt. <laughs> you know, Ooh, that's <laughs> for that, y'all. He did. And I'm not trying to embarrass him, but I did that. My, my, <laughs> I did. Mom should be proud. I'm very proud. My mother, my, my father, who was a, a, not really that nice a guy, but he finally died, and I lived with Mommy, and I, I took care of Mommy, and, and when Mommy passed, you know, I did what I was supposed to do. Yeah. And so I now feel like my time is my time. And I don't know if you all have had the pleasure, uh, I certainly did, of going down to the African-American Museum. Oh, the best. And when you 
when you go, you know, you start and you go around. And when you go around that, I went to the legacy opening because I, I didn't, I don't, I went because I was, I'm a part of it. And when I turned, I wasn't paying attention like that. And I turned this way and there's a picture of me, which is really nice because you don't think of yourself as being in a museum. But when I saw that, it caught me off guard. How could you not? I mean, you got to know. You got to know. I'm going to be up in there. I mean, you know, I've had a fortunate career. If it's if you were not there, then it would be incomplete. And I think everyone would say, well, where's Nikki Giovanni? Well, I didn't think. I mean, I, I'm not Maya. So. <laughs> we'll come back to that. <laughs> no, some people get it. I didn't. And I turned the corner and I saw my picture. And I automatically, though Thomas didn't know her, I automatically looked to my left, you're talking about bringing tears, and without meaning to, I said, Grandmother, I did my job. Mm. It, it, it touched me. I mean, that, that's exactly what I said. And I hadn't thought about, I mean, it was just, Grandmother, I did my, because that's who I loved, and that's who I wanted to do my job for. And to me, she was standing there. And from there to now, I think my time is my time. Mm. Wow. Uh, so when I'm late, Camille said, we're going to be late. I said, baby, when you are the show, you're always on time. <laughs> <laughs> so look, time, you are the show. How do you know when the poem is done? I'm a good cook. I know when my rack of lamb, which I do a really great lack of lamb, I know when it's done. Because you've cooked it, you know what I'm saying? And you know when a poem is done. I'm just, I'm, I know a good poem from a bad poem, too. Some of the poems in this book are not that good. <laughs> but I figure if, if I did a couple of good poems, then you got your money's worth. But you all didn't even have to get your money's worth because you're getting free books. So, <laughs> no, I do say to my students and to people that are that ask me and I, I have some people here what you know what is important you have to remember that you are your first reader yeah that that's the only thing that you have to remember and if it delights you or if you say well I see why I did this then you're happy and that's that's all you know you're not going to change the world how have you <laughs> grown and changed as a poet versus you 20 or 30 years ago surely you are not the same writer that you were several decades ago so yeah. have you how have you grown I think I'm probably a better uh, writer, or certainly my voice is smoother, and I look at things, um, I think I look at things a little differently. I, I think I'm uh, kinder. <laughs> I'm not really, I mean, some people in this room know me, and I've known me for a while. I'm not friendly, your, but I think to, I'm kinder. To yourself, to the poems, to other people? Just to, in general, nicer person, not nicer, but kinder. And so when you're looking at things, you're judging them differently. And so I can look at what, I could not, and, and I don't know how to say this, Kwame, but I could not have written this book 40 years ago, even 30 years ago, because it has a different emotional, uh, it's a different emotional component. And I think it's a very, I think I was uh, vulnerable. I think I am vulnerable in this book in a way that I haven't uh, been before. But I didn't think that was a big damn deal, you know, so... It's not like I'm going to walk down Fifth Avenue and say, I'm vulnerable. You know, you, you, you don't. You just write the book. And I sent it in, and Rachel, I thought Rachel was going to say, I need more or do, you know, because Rachel's my editor. And she said, oh, yeah, we, we like it. And I, I was surprised. And I've been surprised that it has been, uh, people have been as kind to it. And, and I'm glad. But it's the book that I did, and it was finished. It, it's, it's the cake coming out of the oven. It's what I did, and that's all. I think all I can do, that's why I wanted to start this, and I, again, I'm going to apologize because I love that poem so much. I just think for what's going on, somebody has to say something for the black boys. Somebody has to say something for the brothers who are trying to make life a little better. And so I'm starting, and I've started all of my things with talking about that. It's not going to change anything, but it's what I do, and that's all. You're talking, you're talking about Black Lives Matter and those sort of folks who were... Oh, I love them. Don't you love them? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I really do. They're just great kids. And uh, sometimes people will say, well, what would you tell Black Lives Matter? They don't need me to tell them anything. Right. You know, I have my T-shirt, and, and I do, and I wear it. And, uh, you know, I think the kids are great, and I'm, I'm proud of them. And that's it. Look, I've spent the last year, year and a half working on a story on Black Lives Matter for Rolling Stone. It's going to come out in the next ah. couple of weeks. Oh, good. And... and getting to know these folks on a deeper level, not just DeRay and Patrice, but like folks, you know, more soldiers, 
um, has been really extraordinary, you know, and just sort of talking deeply with them changed my mind about a lot of things, you know, sort of dragging me further to the left. And so it's a powerful, powerful group of people. Um, I want to get you to read another poem, but I want to come to that in a minute. But uh, you know, let me go back. Yeah. I don't know why we, this, this is not fair to you, but you were talking about, we looked at Black Lives Matter. One of the things I like about them is they don't have any leadership. Right. So no matter what happens, they didn't. But what I'm a history major at Fisk University, and the thing that has excited me in the last several years that I'm looking into and trying to, I'm not trying to make sense out of it because it makes sense to me, the people who left behind, the people who stayed behind. And we all know Frederick Douglass. We all know uh, uh, Harriet Tubman. We're all very proud of those people. Like I said, the brother who has, has a fine. We're, I, we're all very proud of the people who lead. But the people who stayed, Emmett Till was murdered because he had an uncle who stayed in money, Mississippi. Mm -hmm. And you might have said, well, why didn't he leave? He stayed, and there had to be something. It wasn't because he was crazy or because he was dumb or because he was a coward. He stayed. But the people who came over at, at, on, on mid, Middle Passage and who got off the ship and who looked around, they made a decision to stay and to make it home. And I think we have to really begin to say, who were these people and how did they make a decision? to make it their home. And in making it their home, you know, I, I would starve to death before I would eat Kentucky Fried Chicken. Because, you know, well, it's true, there's not a white man on earth that ever fried a chicken. And <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you know that's true. And so if they're going to do it, give me a black woman. Let me look at who did it. But we created a, a, a cuisine. We created a, a music. We created a dance. And there's something to be said for the people who stayed and built the communities. And if they hadn't stayed to build the communities, we wouldn't have had any place to come back to. They built the churches. And so now you've got those fools running around shooting up a variety of churches. Oh. But nonetheless, the people stayed. And they did something. And I think that we have to find a way to say, and what made them I don't want to say put down. I, I, I'm, I haven't found the words. That the, the, I don't know the language that I like yet, but I do know that they stayed. And so when we were talking about Ma uh, Black Lives Matter, I was thinking about because I ran into some of them lately because I've been running around. on, on the, Look at the people. I ran into, finish your sentence, Nikki, the people who, were, who marched on Selma. Now, mm -hmm. we all know, of course, Martin. And, and, and there's no reason not to. We all know uh, 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 John Lewis. We all know, of course, uh, Viola Luizzo. And I would love to, if I could, and I don't have anything to do with that. I did mention it to Lonnie, though. I would love to have her wedding ring in the, her picture is in the, the museum. But I would love to have her wedding ring so that we can remember. This was a mother who left Detroit and came down to Selma, Alabama, because she knew she had to be there, even though she knew she might not ever get home, and she didn't. And the men, the men, because it was a couple of men, who shot her, who tell us all the time, oh, I love white women. I'm going to really take care of white women, unless they are in a car driving back across the bridge in Selma, and then we're going to shoot them. Or unless they're in Charlottesville, Virginia, trying to say, well, we're not sure that, 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 that we agree with you, and then we're going to run over them with a car. You, you, and so you get sick of that. And again, we're talking about the people who stayed, because that's a lot of courage. The people who stayed had a lot of courage, and they built this country as we, as we know it. They, they, they're the ones who had the hope for it. And I just think there's something, this generation, Kai's generation, my granddaughter's generation, are, they're growing up in, for lack of a better word, non-segregation. People my age people closer, you know, in their 60s. And, and we all grew up in segregation. Mm. But those youngsters are growing up, for lack of a better word, in non-segregation. So they're having a different way of looking at the world in which we're living. And it's going to be interesting because we can't let the, the Donald Trumps of this world, who are, are, are liars and thieves and crazy, take them back into a world that they don't know and try to make it their world. Their world is another world. And so a part of their responsibility is to make sure that they keep going forward because the people who landed from Middle Passage and who got on these shores and who knew that they were going to be sold and, and abused and who knew that whatever it was, it wasn't going to happen with them, that they were going to be dead, their children were going to be dead, I mean a lot. But they decided somehow, yes, 
we have the strength to make a difference. And they're just fabulous people. And we're going to have to find a way. The youngster, gen- the younger generation is going to have to find a way to celebrate. Am I making sense today? Yes. Is she making it, sense? I just think Stay it's so important. I really, I really do. And, and you, you just have to admire them. In this book, you talk about a couple of friends. I want to talk about them, Maya Angelou. Yeah, Who was Maya Angelou? And she was a friend of me, and uh, I had a, you'll love this, I had a, a thought the other day, uh, and, oh, I was trying to think of why. I was reading a piece on Jimmy Ball, um, James Baldwin. I was reading a piece on Jimmy, and the guy was doing, it was a uh, critical piece, and the guy was saying, you know, well, Jimmy was uh, America's confessional writer. And you know how you're reading something and you think, hmm. And I decided, no, I, I, I don't, I knew Jimmy. We worked together. We had built together. But he wasn't a confessional. He was honest. And so I have this line. I don't know where it's going, but it's going to be someplace. And I'm saying, you know, we confess to the Lord and we honestly do our work. And it's two different things. It's two different things. That's why we have the Lord, so that we can confess. <laughs> yeah, that's what that... Yeah, and 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 we are honest, or at least whatever I do, I'm I'm an honest writer, but I'm not confessional. So you're saying who is Maya? Well, I told you who Maya was that I don't mind sharing with you, and the rest of it is my business, and Maya's gone. <laughs> well, you gotta have something that's yours, and if you don't have something that's yours, you start to believe that stuff. You start to believe that it's important to be on the cover naked of Vanity Fair or something. You, I, I, you're looking at me strange. You, you know, that's, that's not important. I mean, if Vanity Fair came and said, well, Nikki, will you be naked on the cover? I could, I would actually, actually, I'd call Camille, and I'd say, well, she does the publicity, Camille. They, <laughs> what do you think, Camille? <laughs> should we do what, this? What do you, what do you think? I think I should be naked on Vanity Fair, and she, well, let me see if they'll cover your nipples. You know what I'm... <laughs> wow. But... <laughs> Is that what you would say, Camille? Do you, do you sort of characterize your position? <laughs> Good answer. Good no, answer. But in my generation, you had to go. We, we were a different, different group there. And, of course, I knew somebody just asked me today, you know, and I said, well, Maya, you know, we were competitive when we first started out. And they said, oh, did you compete with Maya? I said, no, that's not the question. The question is, did she compete with me? Hey! <laughs> and I'm laughing, but I know I'm, you know, I know I'm going to die and go to hell, and that doesn't bother no, me. No, <laughs> no. It's perfectly all right, because I'm going to get a day pass to heaven. And one of the things, when I go to heaven, I, I want to see my mom. I've got a few issues to talk to her about. But one of the things I'm going to ask Maya, you know, it, and, and what influence, baby, did I have on your career? Yeah, yeah. You think she'll answer? Oh, you would know better than us. No, I, I think she'll answer. I'm going to be fun. But, you know, we became friends over the years. And when she moved to Wake Forest, she's only two hours away from me. And so she'd call because she didn't, you know, she was in a wheelchair, so she couldn't drive. I got more tickets driving down. From, I, I live in, in... You speed. Really? <laughs> Heavy foot. Who knew? I'm Is it sure always like this, Thomas? Well, the always... funny thing, yeah, Thomas? well, Thomas, yeah. Thomas speed. But the funny thing is, I do that. <laughs> if you go from Blacksburg down to Wake Forest, it's, you know, and by the time you start to turn where the sign says North Carolina, you're speeding. And I got ticket, ticket, ticket. And then one day I got stopped. And, the, you know, stopped me. And he said, you know, ma'am, do you know how fast you were going? And I, I always be nice to cops because they're crazy, especially now. I had my hands on there. I'm saying, yes, sir. And he said, well, I'm going to have to give you a ticket. I said, sir, it's perfectly all right. I understand I was speeding, but I need to share something with you. The last policeman who gave me a ticket right at this spot got run over by a car in the mall. And his mother wrote me, and he's now dead. But I will accept the ticket because I know I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I have his mother's letter at home. <laughs> I was sorry that he was dead, but the, the cop said, go on now, just go on. <laughs> he probably thought I was a witch. <laughs> I hated to do it, right? The father divine, right? I hated to do it. <laughs> I hated it. to do it, that's the truth. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's the truth. Wow. Well, you know, can you tell us a little bit about Jimmy? What was he like? Jimmy owed me a favor, and I would say that to all the writers in the room. 
I was working with his good friend, Ellis Hazlett. And Ellis did Soul. And there still needs to be much more information about the show, Soul. And I, I was volunteering with Soul because they didn't have that much money. So Ellis would come up, you know, we'd talk. I'd say, come up because I lived uptown. And we'd talk and talk and talk. At the end of the year, Ellis knew that he owed me something, too. And he said, well, I owe you a favor. You know, what, what would you like? And I said, if I could do anything in the world, I'd talk to James Baldwin, you know, because he's Jimmy and I'm not. And he said, I know Jimmy. And I said, oh, wow, but he wouldn't be bothered with me. I mean, I, I just had a couple of books out. It wasn't important. And he said, I'll call him. And he did. And Jimmy said, oh, I'd love to talk to her, but I can't. I don't have time to come to the United States. I can go to London. Will she come to London? I'd go to, you know, Moscow. <laughs> of course I would. <laughs> so we went to London, and that's how the book, um, that's how the book came out. Jimmy's a lot of fun. And then I realized, my goodness, I have to reread the book, which I haven't done in a while, that, uh, you know, you're sitting and you're nervous because you're sitting there and you're talking to James Baldwin, who you've been reading, you know, and, and everything. But I, I think it came out of it. We had a good time. Yeah. But uh, the funny thing is, and, and, and Thomas is here, so he's going to have to hear this one. But Tom was with me, and uh, we had a babysitter, Debbie, and Debbie was there. And Thomas, of course, does believe in, or did at that point, believe in breakfast. So we would get up. Well, we stayed right across from Princess Margaret's Gardens. And so I, I mean, I'm trying to be a good mother, so we got up and had breakfast. Well, Jimmy is a, a night owl, and that was probably the nicest thing I could say that he was. So Jimmy would, <laughs> would be coming home at the time that we were having breakfast. And so Thomas, of course, adored Jimmy. And Jimmy, you know, Jimmy Baldwin, Jimmy Baldwin, take me for a walk. And Jimmy's hung over like, oh, Thomas, I'll take you. <laughs> Jimmy Baldwin, Jimmy Baldwin, take me for a walk. And so Jimmy knew that He's not going to get out of this. So, and then they would go and walk around the, the garden, and, and he'd come back home. Oh. So Jimmy's a good guy. And I knew his mom, and I knew David. And I know David. I, I, David's still with us. And David was actually dating a girlfriend of mine, Barbara Crosby. Oh, wow. So um, we, got to, we got to know each other. You know, I didn't try to bother him, you know, hang out with Jimmy. Uh, he's Jimmy Baldwin, and I'm not. You know, so. <laughs> Keep saying that. Well, some of the folks may know, some of them may not know that you have dreams of going to outer space is the wrong word. You have an imperative. You <laughs> must go to outer space. Tell them why. Well, first of all, I'm black. And these, <laughs> well, <laughs> that, that's an advantage because if anybody understands going into space, it has to be the people who came through Middle Passage. Mm. Because how did they come through Middle Passage and remain sane? And whatever it is that allowed those people to be sold, to be bought, to be put on a ship, to come across an ocean, and to get on a strange land and still be, and I'll say it again, not still be, but to be sane, to learn a language, because you have to realize, you know, nobody was, was speaking this stuff. They learned a language. They created a cuisine. They created a, 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 a culture. And so we know if we're going into space, we need whatever it is that those people, and we have to really give black women credit for that because there's going to be black women on that ship who are going to communicate with her people through because she's going to have to find a way to comfort her people. And that moan is going to comfort those people. And it's going to bring us here, and we're going to make a decision that we are going to find somehow we're going to find love. Well, when we go into space, that's exactly what we're doing. We're not going because we want to find out what Mars has. You know, do they have any gold or any uh, whatever it is they might have? And, of course, if you were going to go to, to Saturn, because we now know that there is a life form on Saturn, because we went, through the first, as you, we went through the first ring. And when we got to the second ring, we got between that, we blew it up, if you recall. And we blew it up because, this is me, and they won't ad admit it right now, because we don't want to admit that we can tamper with what is on the other side mm. of that ring. There had to be some, some reason. Otherwise, why wouldn't you just send it in and find out what it is that you, that you see? So I don't want to use the word aliens, but are you, do you believe that there are b beings elsewhere that we might be able to communicate with that may or may not be smarter than us or as smart as us and have a civilization somewhere, maybe not on in this stretch of planets, but somewhere? Well, you know, so again, I hate to say it, but no, I don't hate to say it, but we're black women. If this coming to this country wasn't an alien situation, being forced to have sex with aliens, having to learn, we did. 
They were screwing us, and what we did was whatever they put in us, we, birthed, we, we held it, and then we birthed it, and then we named it, and we loved it. Why wouldn't we do that in Mars? Why wouldn't we do that in Jupiter? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't that same energy, that same love that brought us here and helped us to make this a potentially great place, why wouldn't that same energy work? Of course. Of course we, we, we're, we're going. And uh, alien is not the word. I, I said that to my students the other day. Can you imagine screwing a Martian, though? I just, <laughs> I just think it'd be incredibly, don't you? What did your students say? They're thinking about, one, I have a gay student, and he was like, yes. And, <laughs> <laughs> and that, that okay. made me happy. No. They, so the straight students were like, no? Like, what? No, my straight students were like, yeah, okay, Nikki, if you say. But I'm, tr- <laughs> I'm just trying to get them to think that we can't keep being afraid of something because look at what we've already had. Mm. And now I'm really so proud of, if I may say that, and I don't have the right to be proud, but I'm so proud of the white women who are speaking up and saying we have been abused. That they're, mm. just com- they're, they're just coming up and they're saying, you know, we want to tell our story. And I'm so proud of them because it's time that people told their story, too. It's time that they shared, and this is what I, I went through. Well, this is what we went through, too. So we're all having something in common. But what I do say, and it's true, and I mean no, no, no disrespect. But, you know, any organ that human beings have that is no longer any good, we lose it. Oh, and boy. If you, you remember? No. But oh, here comes remember. deep water. No, but you remember we used to have six fingers? Mm. Yeah. And, you know, the tonsils are gone and stuff. So I think the penis is on its way out. <laughs> I told you. Here comes the deep water. Well, and if men don't learn how to take care of it... It's going to be gone. Doesn't that make sense? A couple hundred years and then it'll just drop off. One morning, just wake up. Baby, my dick is gone. (laughs) (laughs) Lorena, do you know where it is? (laughs) See if she really loves you. No, but it's, it's time to take care of yourself. And I don't see how the most precious, I'm going to say one of, but the most precious organ in your body can be so abused. I don't see how, I don't see how that works. You have to take care of it. It feels like we are in the midst of a titanic shift, right? That women are saying no more and sort of purging some of the monsters. And there are more monsters out there Mm -hmm. who will not be, but perhaps some of them will say like, I better be more secretive. Some of the other ones will be too afraid to come out. Do you think that we're going to have lasting change out of this moment? Or at some point we'll all go back to... Status quo. I think that, well, no matter what anybody said, we're not going to go back to colored waiting room. Right. Okay. That, that's, right. that's all gone. And maybe it's not a big deal, but it's all gone. And I think as we move along, human beings are not bright. You, you, every one of us knows that. And so we slowly but surely move on. But I'm, I'm, I'm just a fan. We were talking about Jimmy, but I'm, I'm just a fan of love. And I think that as we deal with what's going on, we also know that it's better to love than not. Yes. And one of the things that I think we all have to share, because I'm a big, I'm a big, big fan of, it only lasts so long. You know, you fall in love. I mean, I'm 74, so what am I, I'm not going to fall in love. I was laughing the other day. Somebody said, well, if the book doesn't do well, what will you do? And I said, well, I'm 74. You know, I look okay, but I'm really still very sure that if the book doesn't do well, I can stand on the corner and somebody's going to, you know, help me out so I'll have a little food and someplace to sleep. Oh, stop. <laughs> I, I, I know there's a you corner. You write someplace. another book. <laughs> I know that. Do. And I think that it's, a, I think it's important to, um, to recognize that all of us are doing our fair share of going forward because there's not much you can do about the people that don't. You know, I don't know what uh, that fool in the White House is going to do. I mean, he's crazy. Yes. And and I think we all are beginning to know. So we're asking the Republicans, do you have balls or not? They do not. You know, and, and they'll have to make a decision about that. But no matter what, we don't have to pretend that it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that if that's all we can do, then we've done our job. Mm-hmm. We don't mm-hmm. have to pretend that it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, as long as... Uh, the base stays with him. As long as his approval rating among Republicans stays in the 80s, uh, then the Republicans in Congress are going to continue to support him because their people are still supporting him. 
right? right? So we are like, I don't know anybody who likes Come this fool. Now. And they're like, I don't know anybody who hates him. All I know is we in Virginia elected Northam. Yeah. Amen. We, we Amen. Yeah. Amen. And we in Virginia, even more lovely, elected our first transgender wow. person. And who defeated the guy who wrote the anti-trans bill. I mean, like, what amazing so, poetry is that? We're doing our part. And that's, that's all I'm saying. You, you can't, and I understand what you're saying, but Rachel Maddock, and I like her, but she has about one more time to tell me what you just said, and I won't look at the show anymore. I don't want to hear, oh, but these people. I want to hear what you think. Mm. I want to hear something that's taken me forward. I don't mm. want to hear, oh, and these people are going to die. I don't care what those people do. All I care about is what me and mine. And that's all I can care about. No, and I think that's fair. I think that media has, uh, news, political news media has gone to too great a focus on what does the Trump voter think about X or Y. The yeah. guest always wants to say, well, the Trump voter does not care. Fine, yeah, yeah. but the Trump voter is not going to decide everything that happens over the next four or eight years, right? There was this, it's a fragile coalition. It's already fraying, right, Joy? It's all right. I feel like we should call on Joy Reid as we're here right now. Don't try to, <laughs> if we're here in this conversation, let's get Joy in. No, but, you know, there, is, there are bigger concerns. There are other concerns. There are other sorts of people whose opinions matter, not just what does the Trump voter think. To me... Who matters is you and me. And we have a lot of things. I live, I live in a, it, I, God, I shouldn't even say this. I live in a state and a part of the state that is so white that I have been walking around in New York going, oh, that's a colored person. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't ever see colored people. And it's so nice. And I go to Kroger's and they smile. And I smile back because I'm not going to, that's, I'm in Kroger's, and I'm in Kroger's to buy my groceries. And I'm not there to discuss it. I don't care who they voted. None of that. Because all I can do is be me, and I'm not friendly. I've said that before, but, but you should know that. Some of you in the room know me. I'm not friendly, but I am polite. And so I'm like, how are you, and this is And you go on. All you can do is live your life. Mm -hmm. Because if you start, I think, and, and uh, speaking of what needs to be written, I think black people have spent too much time trying to say what's wrong with white people. I think we have gotten to the point now that we just ought to deal with this is what I want and this is what I'm trying to do and to go on about, about our, that's why I like the, the kids on the knee. I, I, I don't think we can convince anybody of anything. No, no. I think we just do what we have to do and some of them we love and some of them we don't. And, and you just go on about so about your business. I want to get you to read one more poem and talk about it. And uh, as a little backstory, we met, what was it, five years ago? Uh, Six guess. years ago? Something yeah. like that, right? Well, <laughs> how old were the kids, right? We were about five years ago. Right? You mark time by how old your kids are. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we were in the Anguilla Writers Festival, and I interviewed you, <laughs> and I... Saw you with the kids and my wife every day at the pool, and you know you're hanging out with Jenny, and it's hot. It's Anguilla. You walk around in flip flops or nothing, right? Like, what do you do? And then I come back, and she tells me she's written a poem called Torres Feet, and I'm like, I can't wait to see it, and also embarrassed, and also like this is the greatest thing ever to have Nikki Giovanni put your name in a poem. Well, you do. So you know she knows that he has. He has great feet. Well, I, uh, <laughs> you do. I'm not going to ask you to <laughs> to show them. <laughs> but he does it. Torre's feet are beautiful, perfect. He knows this and shows them off in sandals. His mother, I'm sure, took him, as I did my son, for pedicures, where he learned to say thank you. My friend has issues. She needs to keep her balance, looks ahead, not down, balancing herself, not seeing the snail walking so hard to get to the other side. She steps on it, ending its life. I do not call attention after all. It is only a very little snail walking through a wide sidewalk to a very big garden. I am sad, and I looked down, said a prayer, and walked on. My friend had no idea what she had done to the little snail. Arguably, if she had seen it, she would have loved it. And we understand feet delight and destroy. They take and they carry away. And Grilla, jollification. What a joy. <laughs> what a joy. <laughs> wow.
Harper Audio Presents is a presentation of HarperCollins Publishers. Our staff includes Beth Ives, Fameta Sawyer, Nathan Rossborough, and me, Andrew Kaberline. Follow us on Instagram at Harper Audio and reach out to us on Twitter at Harper Audio Presents.